I wish I knew to delegate more sooner. Let's divide, conquer, and, and report back. Sometimes it doesn't matter why we used to do something, but it's like, what are we gonna do next? And how do we, how do we wanna design this to scale in the future? Sometimes there's no luxury of time. We want to give them the opportunity to make the best hire for their team. Like, is there a way that we can repurpose somebody and, and give them new skills? Shirin, happy Friday. You're wearing some incredible glasses. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so I guess a good place to start is it'd be really great to learn a bit about you, you know, what you've been doing, your journey, and what you're doing at Fastly right now. Sure. So I'm currently head of global talent acquisition at Fastly. So I own all of talent acquisition, um, tech, non-tech, talent acquisition operations, as well as international. Um, and I've always been selling. So really started off my career in um, real estate, then went into sales, and now I'm um, selling a dream at Fastly. Awesome. Um, and I know a lot of people don't really talk about this enough, um, but I think it should be celebrated. You've spent the last eight years at Fastly. You've had four different roles. You've gone through an IPO. Um, so I'd really love to know what's kept you um, at Fastly. Um, and also, I guess, what have some of your biggest challenges been in learnings moving into a leadership role, especially global you know, leadership position? Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I joined Fastly and really wanted to get into the tech space was I really wanted to see the impact that my work had on a company's growth every single day. And um, from when we were about 100 people to even today, I can definitely see the impact of my work and my team's work in our company's growth and how you know we're bringing in the people and shaping the company in the direction of the company every day. I also really wanted to work with smart people. And so being on the talent acquisition side, getting to, you know, really shape the type of people that we're attracting. Um, I'm able to, you know, constantly surround myself with really smart people. And, you know, I think a lot of the time, regardless of the company that you're working at, you're you're solving similar problems and it's solving problems every day, but it's to me who you're solving those problems with. And that's what's really kept me here. Awesome. That was really cool. I guess in terms of the challenges piece, for me, it was, you know, moving in from a, from an IC to a manager role was thinking, um, you know, I constantly want to help everyone on my team do everything the right way instead of really giving them that opportunity to learn and figure it out themselves. And now, you know, as I wish I knew to delegate more sooner and just let people attend the meeting, like, you know, we shouldn't both be attending meetings or all of us be attending meetings together, but like, let's divide, conquer and, and report back so we can really, you know, save time and give everyone the opportunity to learn for themselves instead of me trying to, you know, um, protect everyone and really give answers as much as I could. Yeah. And was this something that was like an epiphany? It was like, oh, well, maybe I should change the approach or was this something that you saw? What, what kind of led to that transitional way, different way of thinking? Um, yeah, I mean, I would love to say it was an epiphany, but I think it was direct feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody gave to me, like, why are you both in that meeting? And it's like, oh, well, in case they have a question in the meeting, we I can answer it too. Because I've been there for so long, I think I have a lot of, like, historical knowledge 
Um, and it also, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter why we used to do something, but it's like, what are we going to do next? And how do we, how do we want to design this to scale in the future? So, you know, I'm here for historical knowledge, but I don't really necessarily need to be there in terms of building what the next steps look like. Yeah. And is there something that you find particularly effective in kind of giving that ownership to your team or a way to you know, get the most out of your team um, and, and provide them with the answers, but letting them go and figure it out for themselves? Is it something that you found to be like really effective in letting that happen? Yeah, I think really it comes down to being very clear, right? It's like, I'm going to have you step in here or if you're going to lead this project, can you know, digest it for 48 hours, come back to me with, you know, why you think we're doing this what is what is the change in the impact um what resources you need and like how much time do you need to do this right instead of just being like take this over like what exactly does that mean so i think just being really clear in terms of why i'm delegating and and what and what the expectations are i i don't think i did that very well at the beginning and you know i think both me and whoever I was delegating it to would get disappointed in like if the outcomes weren't what we expected. But I think it's, you know, delegate, let someone process and kind of come back together to understand what next steps look like. Yeah. And, you know, this, this company Fastly that you're at has had this you know, tremendous pace and growth and you know, been hugely successful and IPO'd. What kind of challenges has that brought to the organization, specifically, you know, the talent function? Um, well, so I think before we used to move a lot quicker where we were hiring first qualified candidate and like the recruiter would be like, okay, I think they should interview with, you know, this person, this person, this person, and that person. And we would just do it and make the hire and move, move on. Um, you know, we've moved to more structured interviews. So we are doing a lot more work up front where hiring managers have to come up with their entire interview plan. Like what are the competencies? What are the questions that are going to assess that competency? Who are potential interviewers? So we're really enabling them and partnering with them. Like we're consulting them and they're making kind of move the ownership to like they're making the hiring decision. So, you know, it's, it's frustrating, I'm sure, to do a lot of the work up front, but once we do, everybody is really aligned and we can honestly say that we have a fair and equitable process because we're asking candidates the same questions every step of the way. And we're getting multiple candidates to, you know, the video and on-site stage from, you know, we have best practices, but we're trying to get four candidates to the video stage, two from underrepresented backgrounds before making that decision. So it's a lot of, of it's different. We're moving a little bit slower. We're trying to be flexible, but um, ultimately we've just had to put a lot more structure and rigor around things. And how, John, I'm sure at the pace that you folks have been growing, you know, that balance of you know, building fair, equitable process, you know, robust process that might take a little bit longer overall, and then still meeting you know, the demands of the business could be a tricky balance to maintain. How have you found you've been able to do that and get the buy-in from you know, people to maybe take their time to get the best results or the right results? Yeah, I would say that's one of the biggest challenges for me personally, because we want to do the right thing, but we also realize that it takes a long time. And you know, there's a lot of roles at Fastly where there's only one person doing them. So sometimes there's no luxury of time. 
So we really just try to, we've gone out of policing, like, wait, you need one more person to get to this final stage before you make a decision to saying, again, this is a best practice. This is why it's important to have diverse teams. This is like what the end result will look like. However, you are the hiring manager and you need to make the decision and you need to own it and we're here to support you. So I think it's us slowly getting away from being in the middle to just being there as that consultant. And how have you found that? Have you found that, you know, by giving them that advice um, and then letting them make the decisions for themselves and not policing, they tend tend to make the right decisions or do they just revert back to the mean of doing things how it was done before uh, when the guardrails are up? Like, what, what have you found? I mean, I think it depends on the hiring manager, <laughs> right? I think it, de- it depends on the hiring manager. So we just like to, you know, make sure we're documenting like, hey, you know, this is the yeah. recommendation we went, you know, you have discussed it with your leader and you're okay moving forward. Um, but, you know, we've also learned that we, so right now we're really building out like a hiring manager training. I don't think we've necessarily enabled them and trained them so people, you know, we have new managers, we have managers that have been at Fastly for a long time. So there's not necessarily that um, equal scale of enablement. So that's something that we're working on now to make sure everybody has the tools, knows where the tools are um, to make these decisions for themselves. Talentful provides flexible recruiting solutions to the world's most ambitious companies. Are you thinking about ways to add flexibility to your talent function? With recent market volatility and hiring set to return to growth mode in the near future, there's never been a better time to choose the right partner to help you scale. Talentful's embedded sourcing, recruiting, coordination, and talent advisory services have been trusted by the world's leading brands. Companies such as Atlassian, Microsoft, Expedia, Pinterest, Waymo, and more. Whether you're hiring across engineering, go-to-market, or GNA, Talentful has got you covered. To find out how Talentful can help you, visit talentful.com. And I know at the beginning of you know this conversation, you were saying how you put a lot of ownership on the hiring managers. You know, it's their job to you know start at the start of the requisition to build the job spec, to build the competency framework, the interview panel. Did you get any pushback from that initially? Was that, you know, this isn't my job, this is recruiting's job? You know, did you get any of that? And, and how did you overcome that? Um, I don't think we got a lot of pushback, but I think it was just a new muscle for folks to build to think through that. And I think, you know, for newer managers or recently promoted managers, I don't think they really understood what competencies were. Um. So I think it just, what ended up happening was it was just like recruiting is taking too long to open my role. Or it's like, well, we haven't really started your role yet because these things aren't done. So um, so actually what we did is we created this really elaborate um, interview question bank. So we pulled from like Sherm, from Gartner, from everywhere that we could find them and have different competencies and potential questions for those and what, what a good rubric looks like, like, what is a good answer? What is an okay answer? What is a red flag answer? So in these forms that we have, our intake forms that we're, we're asking hiring managers to build out these questions, there's already like a bank of a bunch of questions. So we're trying to also help make it easier for them 
but it's ultimately again like we we want to give them the opportunity to make the best hire for their team yeah and what's the one of the biggest benefits you've seen from you know having a structured process and having the hiring managers really think and be thoughtful about you know, each job they're putting live is that what's the biggest benefit you found I think we're getting better hires where before, you know, I would look at a scorecard for a candidate and it'd be like, yeah, hire them. I, I definitely get a beer with them at an airport, you know, just the basic cool factor, but then no one was, you know, asking them if they knew how to code (laughs) or actually really assessing them for what we needed them to do. And when we were smaller, um, you know, everybody wanted to like everybody and everybody wanted to be friends. So nobody also wanted to give feedback on if they're not actually hitting those marks. So now it's, I think it just makes everything easier. Yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, we've had the pleasure of knowing each other for a while and I've, I've been speaking to you about the kinds of things you've been doing at Fastly over time. And one of the things I've been really impressed by is, you know, how you've handled the growth of the business, but also how you've handled you know, tricky situations, slowdowns, downturns. Obviously, we had COVID. And now there's some, you know, more economic uncertainty. And if we look around the tech sector, you know, there's lots of layoffs happening. You know, people are um, and, and being laid off from recruitment. It's normally one of the first places to be impacted. Um, but I guess you've really advocated for your teams and used those, you know, quiet periods to um, find ways to benefit and opportunities um, to grow your team. Can you talk a bit about that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, maybe hiring managers and talent leaders out there that are entering a quieter period and aren't quite sure what to do or don't have any ideas and they're getting pretty concerned. So can you maybe talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first time this happened was right at the beginning of the pandemic where people were doing layoffs. We didn't know how it was really going to affect our business. We did a, um, pause on hiring we were just like let's just take a take a beat to see like how this pandemic is going to play out and um our company was really gracious across the board to everybody I and mean, we did not lay anyone off i mean even contractors that were manning the front desk with our offices closed um so what we did is we really did a skills inventory of our team and other teams across fastly that necessarily their jobs were somewhat impacted because of whether it was interviewing or being face-to-face or events and tried to redistribute those folks across the company. I had folks on my team help out with benefits because now we had COVID and we had a limited benefits team. We had people go into finance. Um, And so right now we are reprioritizing some recs and we have a decent amount of contractors on board. So I'm just like, okay, let's get the contractors working on all of the recs. And we have been so underwater the last two years that we've just been going from rec to rec that we really haven't had a moment to work on any of these projects. And we've keep, our project list keeps growing. So um, over the last couple of weeks, we, you know, we've been brainstorming, like, you know, if we want to increase our time to fill, you know, all the way to quality of hire. Like what are the things that we can do to make the most impact across the company with the hiring process? And so we have a list of about 60 different things that we wanna do. We stack rank them by the impact they're going to make and the difficulty. We've outlined who are all the stakeholders and what are the dependencies. 
And um, it was really fun. Last week, we did a project management training for all the recruiters. So the recruiters have the tools they need to be project managers and to own different projects. So we are um, launching off these projects and getting everyone on the team to lead them and even projects that are really not necessarily ours, but something that we could benefit from. We're leaning in and um, helping and getting this across the board. I mean, we, I want my teams to always, you know, be up leveling and upskilling them. So for them to be all formal project managers and to understand how each different process can affect different um, stakeholders. It's kind of the direction we're going right now. That's really cool. How's that been received from your team? Yeah, you know, is that, yeah, you know, what's the general kind of feedback so, been? They're so excited. They're they're really excited. And I think the benefit of this is because they're all part of changing these processes, it, it I think will help with the engagement and really standing by our processes and um, sharing them with hiring managers. And once we start, you know, launching and uh, distributing what we've done across the company. And, and it's giving them, sorry, it's also giving them exposure to different parts of the business that they've never worked with before. Absolutely. And did you have to go and actively seek, you know, buy-in from the company to do that? Did you have to put a business case together to your leadership? How did that work? Or do you just have the full autonomy to make those decisions? Um, maybe I should have. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I didn't necessarily do it. I know we've had this list of projects and priorities going for a long time. So I just let my yeah. leader know this is what I'm doing. And then what I also did is I shared this list with our people leadership team. I said, hey, this is what my team is going to be doing for the next several weeks. We're going to be kicking these off. There's going to be three different rounds and the rounds are prioritized by the impact that it has you know, please forward this along to your teams because we're going to be um, partnering with them and wanting to collaborate with them. So it was more of a heads up. And if you want to talk to me about this or you want to go through this list specifically, um, I'm here for you. Um, but we're just going for it. Yeah, I love that. And I guess, you know, so to the leaders out there who are maybe in this tricky time, um, and you know, I mean, maybe want to try and get you know buy-in from their their leadership or stakeholders. How do you think they should approach that? What would be your advice to you know leaders who maybe want to do something like this um, that maybe hasn't been done before? Or um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would I would start off with a skills inventory. Figure out what are the skills that your team has, and then potentially look at those roles that have been deprioritized or paused, and see like hey, I mean, this leader obviously needed that type of help. Like, is there a way that we can repurpose somebody and, and give them new skills on their teams, right? Like if you couldn't hire, um, you know, even sales, like I think recruiters could make our, our salespeople and they can make great salespeople. So how could we get them to get on the sales team? Like um, just maybe the roles that are, are no longer being hired for, there's a way to use the talent team there. Yeah. Yeah. In the past that we've moved recruits into sales roles and you know, redistributed people and that's been really successful. Cause like you said, it's a very similar similar skill set. Um and and so, you know, 
this kind of brings us on to this environment at the moment and you know the way that companies have been growing you know really fast and then having to downsize and then and then grow again um what, what do you think why do you think that that keeps happening you know in the in this market is I mean, I don't know about other companies, but I could say what we've done that's been really impressive is, you know, we've, I would say we've always been growing like 30% year over year. However, it's been very conservative-ish, right? So it's like our revenue increases this much, headcount increases this much, revenue increases. So it, it it's kind of goes step by step. So we've never done hyper growth or just been, you know, throwing out offers, everything has really been um, moving at the same speed as revenue. And that's, has that impacted the culture? Do you think there's like more stability, like better retention? What does, you know, is, do you see that making impacts? Um, I don't know if I see that. I mean, I think people still always want more than they can have, right? Yeah. More heads. And I think we do. I think we relatively don't have a lot of redundancy at Fastly. I think we still run pretty lean. Like even my team, I think, is relatively small for the size company that we have in growth. But I think that's just a, the thoughtful way that the executive team has been growing. Yeah. And do you, you know, I guess you've said that you're building the, the, the company in a very, um, not conservative way, but sensible way, I'd say. You know, you're growing in line with um, you know, forecasts and expectations and revenue growth. Um, do you, I guess, buffer in any ability to deal with spikes and deal with downturns, you know, in that planning? Um, because I'm sure there are times where maybe it goes a bit faster than you think or there's more headcount that's delivered. Um, cause I think this is maybe where companies get stuck, right? They, they may be over high when there is these massive spikes. Um, and that doesn't s s it's not consistent, it's not sustainable, and then it ends up inevitably dropping and they just are over-resourced. How, how have you managed that um, in the past or how do you manage that currently? Yeah, I mean, right now we're doing managing that through contractors. I think, you know, I think a lot of companies similar to ours like don't necessarily, I think a muscle that we're starting to build too is really around headcount planning. Um, and we, you know, are kind of working through that the whole year and it's constantly changing. So um, I've leaned into contractors because um, we still want to keep a really lean team just just so we don't have um, an excess of capacity on our full-time team. And how do you, you know, manage those, um, those contractors? Are they given kind of, you know, access to your team do you treat them separately do they have um kind of responsibility over a certain region or skill set what's your thought process around using your contracts like yeah i mean as a team we like to treat them equally like we like to include them in all of our meetings and in all of our celebrations because we definitely feel like they're helping you know contribute just as much as anyone else um, and then it really depends like i think you know we have the tech team and the non-tech team and so they're just really embedded there and they're, you know, the, the tech contractors um, work with, you know, have hiring managers that they support like anybody else does and they run their business like any other recruiter on our team would. Okay. And you mentioned earlier, Joe, you're getting really deeply involved in or more involved in headcount planning. Um, 
what does that process look like at the moment? Um, how has it evolved then, I guess? Um, how does that then impact you know, your recruiting team? Um, is it quite a reactive thing, like month on month? Is it quarter on quarter? Do you have visibility like six months ahead or a year ahead? What, what does that look like? Uh, I mean, right now it's very reactive. It's very yeah. reactive, but we're we're working to get a place. So for next year, it is quarter by quarter, and we are having those conversations. And you know, all the requests are you know hopefully will be tied to priorities and goals for the company. Uh-huh. Yeah, no matter who I speak to, what size company, no one seems to really get headcount planning right. And it seems to be, I was just speaking to someone the other day about this, seems to be really pushed on recruiting this reactive nature. You know, you've got a plan. Oh, no, you haven't. Always changed. Oh, there's a few more. Oh, there's a few less. Why do you think that's so difficult for companies to get right? Like, it seems like this never-ending issue. I know. I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, yeah. the, the best that we do is like, okay, you know, when I hop on a meeting, it's like, okay, I have what our goals are. I have what our capacity is. And it's like, you know, I'm just waiting to flex either way. It's like, if we need this, it's like, okay, well, here's the capacity that we have. If we want to hit that target, like, this is what I'm going to need. Just, you yeah. know, pure math. But yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, and maybe that's what keeps me here at Fastly too. I'm just waiting for this to like, <laughs> 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 waiting to see what head campaigning looks like. Once it's done, you're like, okay, that's it. I've hit the holy grail. I can, I can, I can move on. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I wonder if it's because just forecasting is so difficult to get right. You know, if you look at the levers that are being pulled to determine, you know, headcount is you know, normally revenue-related goals, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's very hard to be very accurate with that prediction. I think mean, maybe that's what happens is... Yeah, you know, I mean... Everyone has good good intentions. I think everybody has great intentions. I think, I think what would be interesting is, you know, I think like each department has their recs that they want prioritized. I think it would be an interesting place to see them also prioritized amongst all the departments. I think that would be really interesting. So, you know, at any point, everyone at the company knows like, hey, right now if we're hitting these goals, we need to prioritize, let's say, product over sales or like, you know what I mean? Just to, to even stack rank them amongst all of them with the leaders, I think would be a really great conversation just so everyone's aligned how have you found the most effective way to prioritize you know when there's a lot of demand on your team you know you've got different business leaders coming at you from different angles how do your team prioritize that workload and what have you found the most effective way to do that i mean right now we really let the prioritization fall with the leader of that department for them to let us know what's most important for them um I think it's nice when, you know, some leaders have specific criteria that they have to determine what's a priority, whether it's like, okay, this is going to help us, you know, hit a goal, generate revenue, um, release a product. So I think different leaders have different type of criteria to determine it. And I think that makes it really helpful. I always like it when the leaders also um, gift us with their time so they can really explain to us 
you know, what are the goals of their department and what that looks like and what's changing. So the more education that they could give my team and more business acumen, I really think it ends up resulting in um, better hires and more engagement across the board too. So it's like when Absolutely. they are prioritizing, also educating us on like why. And one of the, I guess one of the things that I consistently see, and you probably see it, is that in busy periods, it's very easy for recruiters to get over overloaded and over capacity. Do you have like a model that you use um, that your team has? It's like, okay, each recruiter has 10, can has a maximum of 10 reps each or 15 reps or six reps. What have you found to be the kind of optimal capacity model for your recruitment team? Yeah, so right now it's really, it's 10 unique recs. So we do 10 unique recs, meaning like if there's like five account managers, that doesn't necessarily count as five recs. I mean, we'll be pretty flexible there. But we have a really high touch recruiting process and we don't necessarily have a huge sort. We have one sourcer. So the recruiters are doing a lot. So I think if they if we had more sourcers that we could, you know, flex a little bit. Um, we have some recruiters that are more senior that can it, it, again, it depends on the role, but we try not to go more than 10. There's some recruiters who have a, more experience or are, you know, these are high volume roles that they're very familiar with that they can take more. But especially on the tech side, we try to cap it at 10. I'm guessing those 10 are prioritized in different levels or they're yeah. all the same. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the magic number that people talk about. Um, I've also. I'm really interested. I've never, I've never done this myself, and I'm really interested in finding out more about it. Um, but I've seen a lot of companies use this point-based recruiting system recently. Ooh, what's where, that? You know, yeah. So recruiters get um, like a certain amount of points, like ten points, for example, that they um, need to hit per month, per quarter, whatever it might be, um, and then they assign different points to different roles and different levels. So, you know, a VP might be five points, say a software engineer might be five points, then a, a junior salesperson might be one point. And that's how you assign people's capacity. So it's like, okay, the max you can be at is 10 points by your workload. Um, and that's kind of how you imagine measured on delivery as well. I might have completely butchered that because no, I've never that's... done it. This is just what I've heard for a party. But yeah, <laughs> that sounds really, really interesting. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think that's Maybe that's I'll, more. Uh, try to find yeah, out. it's sounds really fair, right? Because it's not, you know, ten VPs isn't the same as ten junior sellers. Yeah, and I think this is the thing with recruiting is that you get people who you know will be given different roles, different difficulty, and different levels and different time. And there's always the, I guess, comeback on people and their performance. Well, I've got harder roles. I'm dealing with a difficult stakeholder. I'm dealing with a more senior position. And I think the point system for me is one of the best methods that conceptually makes more sense in terms of creating that like equilibrium across everyone um, and that fairness uh, in how you can performance manage your team and I guess have more equality on um, like people's outcome and output. So maybe I should find out more about that and do a podcast on it. But yeah, I think <laughs> you should because I mean, I think especially... I think there's going to be a lot of data. Like you can see, like for these roles, how long does it take to fill the role typically, right? Like I think that yeah. you can use what you already have to actually distribute points for each role. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's what we 
we try and do next. Yeah. Um, but Sharon, really enjoyed speaking to you. I've, I've learned a lot just by speaking and you know, it's very impressive what you've done. I love what you've done during these downturns. I mean, your team must be like over the moon. Um, I know that it's a tough time out there for a lot of the recruiters. And the fact that you're giving people the opportunity to upskill is excellent. The last question I'd like to ask you is, and I ask this to everyone, is Uh-oh. what are you most excited about uh, in the recruitment space at the moment and for the future of your know, talent acquisition? What gets you most excited? Um, I mean, I think what gets me most excited is, um, I mean, I, I just love the people aspect of it all. And I feel like we're still able to change people's lives. And, and I think I have a team of empathetic salespeople who like, that's their one main thing is that they just love, um, changing people's lives and giving these offers and getting them, um, and making people happy. And I think that's, um, still my favorite part and the part that gets me excited. Awesome. Changing lives one hire at a time. One hire at a time. Great to speak to Sharon. (laughs) (laughs) And catch you later. Great. Thanks.